This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives, the power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. Hi, listeners. Today, we are listening to Zach Couples. Zach's someone that I have followed for a long time. I really respect and appreciate not only his professional intelligence, but also his perspective and his approach. Zach is a physical therapist by trade, but I would also call him a complete movement specialist. He treats people in pain. He treats people who are aiming for high performance. And he treats people who are doing both, who are are in pain, experiencing discomfort, and have to perform at a high level. What I really love about our conversation today is we not only look at movements, but we look at the complete approach towards pain, movement efficiency, feeling better. Zach's just a great guy. I really love how he thinks, and I know you will too. There's a lot of things here today you will be able to take away and use immediately. So have a notepad nearby if you're not driving or uh, or in a place to do so. But really just listen, enjoy. I hope you get a lot out of it. And as always, please rate and review. Here you go. Hi, listeners. We are live. Uh, Zach, thanks for being on. Mike, it's an honor to be chatting with you today, a fellow person from Illinois. So uh, let's get it. Yeah, we had a lot more in common than I realized coming into this call. Besides, you know, I've been following you and you know, I've loved your context for, for a number of years now. But yeah, it's uh, cool to talk to someone from the area and cool to admittedly for, for the listeners. Um, I've been looking forward to this, getting this recording in for a few months now due to my mistakes. <laughs> I've had to, I had to push it off uh, one too many times. But uh, so we're very excited for this one. Because uh, I just, I, again, I love the way you talk to people. I love your knowledge. So before we get too deep into that, maybe just a little history on, on you and what you do. Yeah. So um, I am a, uh, by trade, a physical therapist and performance coach. Um, and I've been in practice since 2011, which God, that puts me at 10 years now. Or no, 11 years. 11 years. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm getting so old. I don't even know how long I've been uh, practicing for. So um so yeah, I've been I've been a PT since then and, and performance coach, and I've worked in a wide variety of settings. Um, I did I did a residency out of physical therapy school for a year, worked in um, the outpatient setting most of my life, and uh, so I've kind of been in hospital. I worked in a physician-owned clinic. I've done travel physical therapy. I've worked in the NBA as a physical therapist and performance coach. And right now, I basically wear well, I wear several hats, but I wear two hats from a work perspective. Um, as a physical therapist and coach, I work at Elevate Sports Performance and Healthcare in Las Vegas, Nevada right now, and it's um, cash pay setting. And we do um, a lot of blending of physical therapy and performance. So basically what we have there is a one-stop shop where we have this team-based approach to basically help people reach any of their uh, physical goals, whether that's getting out of pain and getting back into training or performing at a very high level. And when we use physical therapists, chiropractors, performance coaches, nutrition coaches, massage therapists to basically help you get that. And so I, I, I do that part-time. And then my full-time is running zackcouples.com where I produce a lot of content, educating movement professionals and the general population. And I also offer um, basically movement and fitness coaching remotely. Um, so I do a lot of fitness training. I do a lot of um, basically helping people move better, feel better um, remotely. And I also mentor a lot of um, people in the industry, whether it's through my seminar, Human Matrix, where I basically teach my movement model, or um, just just helping uh, coaches and clinicians with some of their specific problems they may have on the uh, the coaching side of implementing some of this stuff. And so that's basically what I do on the professional side of things now. And I've, um, I love it. Uh, Well, I, and all those links will be available and all listeners, please go, you know, you're going to go check that out for sure. I love that you use the word blending when it comes to what you do at, at the clinic. 
you know, in our field, I, I think that we've made a lot of strides where this used to be two different things. Physical therapy was one entity and strength training, personal training, sports performance was another. And that's always been a goal of mine was to, to bridge that gap, to, to create the blend, which is, which is exactly what you do. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that. You know, where does what you do as a physical therapist in terms of treating pain, where does that start to, to bleed over and blend with, with performance, strength training, weight loss, you know, whatever the goal, the physical goal might be. Yeah. So I think, I think in terms of what is being emphasized is going to be very different depending on the person. And I, I don't think really like as a, as a, on the, the rehab, it's, it is a false dichotomy because I think a lot of the tactics that I might utilize for someone who's in pain. And really, I think that's the big difference is my training allows me to perhaps work better with someone who's in pain one, but also two, just because I have more in medical knowledge of when to refer to other people like that. That's where my utility comes into play. But a lot of the things that I utilize for someone could definitely help someone on the performance side or even the, uh, the general fitness um, side of the equation. For example, I might utilize a, a um, very a lower level movement exercise to help increase someone's hip range of motion. And that could help alleviate them with pain, or I could use a manual therapy technique for that same thing. But there's nothing that says that we can't utilize those same strategies to increase someone's hip range of motion so they can get more out of a squat or squat deeper. Um, so uh, to me, it's, it's a very, uh, it, it's not like there's this line that's drawn that, you know, all of a sudden, like once we do this move, it's now considered training or once we regress to this move, it's now considered rehab. Like, I think the thing that differs a physical therapist or a chiropractor, or a clinician from a coach is the starting point that you get someone at. Sure. Um, I might get more starting points of people who are dealing with pain or, um, some type of uh, physical malady that's limiting their ability to pursue more performance-based things. But I know a lot of coaches who work with people who are in pain because maybe they've done all of the medical treatments and they're still dealing with some issues, or maybe they've had someone who's had a surgical procedure and they're over the acute phases, but they still need some help on the back end. and insurance has run out as an example. Sure. Um, so it, it really is a, a seamless blend because I think in order to get someone towards more pain freedom or to get someone to perform at their highest level, whether it's um, they want to lower their handicap on the golf side or right. they want to be able to play with their kids. What, what we really try to do is we're really trying to teach someone to incorporate a healthy lifestyle. And it's more than just doing two rehab exercises, or it's even more than just training with, with you, Mike, three times a week. It's like, we need to, we need to get people to choose uh, healthier foods to eat. We need to get people moving throughout the day. We need to get people to sleep more and, and, and have a, a, a healthier sleep environment. We need to get people to have a sense of community and not be stuck on their phones. Like it's just, being a, a healthy individual, whatever that means, is all-encompassing, and there's a lot of factors at play. And, and I say that to where like we have to appreciate that there's a lot of things that we can focus on to help you reach your goals. Right. But at the same time, too, I also want people to recognize that just because there are a lot of things that we might need to change to get you to where you want to go, and it might seem in, insurmountable even just starting with something like maybe working with me and doing a few moves to help you move better or working with you and starting to train two times a week. Like that's the, the, the first step that can make a large impact, but we have to recognize that it's uh, to, to really make sustainable long-term goal or change. Um, you likely have to influence a lot of variables and you and I are just starting points on that domain. Yeah. Well, you know, I love where that answer went and it, it goes right back to your, your term of blending, right? So whether it's, whether it's you're in a you're in a painful state, you're in a performance state, all the lifestyle factors matter. And I think sometimes that seems obvious to people like you and I who've been doing this long enough and obviously focus so much on lifestyle. First, maybe a patient who's walking in your door 
who is coming off of maybe an acute injury and doesn't realize that nutrition matters. Sleep is going to affect that rehab, you know, and that's probably the last thing they're expecting to hear from, from a professional like you, but the best thing they could probably hear also, right? Because there's, you know, there's only so much you can do in a session that can be not undone, but inefficient to the process the other 23 hours or you know, three days that they don't see you. But if I go back to the movement part specifically for a moment, there's not one list of exercises, right? That are, these are rehab exercises. These are performance exercises. These are weight loss exercises, right? One exercise or all those exercises can be used no matter what part of the spectrum you're in. Would you say that's correct? Absolutely. Yeah. They, they, they might all be part of a comprehensive plan to help you reach whatever it is your goal is. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I think it's, you know, it's interesting. You have people that have come off of very good rehab programs and they come in and, you know, we'll do a drill and be like, Oh, that's a rehab exercise. I used to do that all the time for my shoulder. I'm like, well, right now we continue to do it at a different level to continue strengthening that shoulder. You know, and, and we continue to, to progress on loads or to progress on angles or depending, you know, whatever the situation might be. But, uh, you know, I guess it's just, it's very interesting that the mindset is still very fixated on separation when it comes to entities. And for those of us that work with people that, you know, my average age range here is between 40 and 70. It's actually less common for me to get someone that doesn't have some history with some type of discomfort, whether it's just low back pain from sitting all day or, uh, or specific injuries. So to have a training staff that can't work with or around pain at a certain level isn't going to work here anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, I think there was a, an, a thing in our industry for a while where it's like, where if you have pain, refer out. Well, what do you do if the person's been referred out and they're still dealing with pain? <laughs> you have to learn how to work within those constraints. And, yeah. and sometimes physical activity of any kind, and it could be training with you. It could be getting more steps throughout the day. It could be a lot of things that can actually help someone who is dealing with long-standing pain and it might be an integral piece. And so the more that we can work together, the more that we can expand the amount of ways that we can help someone, uh, the, the more likely it is that someone is able to reach their goals. So there really isn't a, a separation between these modalities. Now you might emphasize one thing more for one person than another, uh, you know, like in an example uh, that goes beyond pain, like if, if your goal is to do some type of endurance event, well, training in the weight room five days a week for three hours a day is probably not going to be the thing to help you with that. But that doesn't mean that we completely avoid weightlifting because that could also help you, but it might not be as big of a focus as your endurance training. And so this, the same thing could be said for someone in pain. So in, in the beginning or even if there's someone who's working with you, but they're dealing with back pain and things like that, we might do a lot of exercises that can help increase your ability to, to move through your back, shoulders, hips, what have you. So that way you can increase the amount of movements that you potentially could do that might help you with pain and also um, improve your fitness. And so it might actually be a large focus on that, but you could still do some loaded exercises and, and be safe. And then as you now, Hey, it's, I've done these moves and now I can do more physical activity before, uh, pain limits me. Well, then now we can start shifting the focus more towards performance side of things. So it just depends on whatever, whatever you need as, as an individual, that is your biggest rate limiting step to reaching your goals. We're going to focus mostly on that. Sure. You know, in the athlete world, you, you can't lift six days a week and never play basketball. If you're a basketball player, at some point, you got to practice basketball. You got to, <laughs> it's getting the court, you have to do the skill work. So, uh, you know, I like how that analogy carries over in general. So when you're first, so, so like, you know, maybe let's break down what you look for. Cause you know, if now we've established that, you know, there, there's a lot of blending, there's a lot of merging in terms of exercise and just movement quality in general. So whether someone's in pain or not, you know, when you're first meeting with someone for the first time, what are some of the things you, you look at and why? Yeah. So a lot of the people who I work with, if it's, if it's in person, I either work with someone who has, has been hurting a lot of different areas or they have some type of, of pain complaint that's limiting them. 
or I have someone who's trying to maximize their performance at a, at a high level. Um, the other, the other thing that I see is I see people who <laughs> I see a lot of beat up fitness professionals who want to continue to train pain-free. Um, I would say that's yeah. my other, um, a big thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so makes, makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So, so basically when I'm working with someone, regardless of what their issue is, I perform a full body evaluation because what we have to recognize is just because you're hurting in one specific area, it doesn't mean that that's the area that like, we only have to focus on that area. It's your body utilizes a movement strategy that, that works together. And we have to look at how we can alter that specific strategy to, to really enhance your uh, ability to move pain-free or to perform in the weight room without having specific issues. Because let's say that you, you get knee pain and it's while you walk. Well, your whole body is involved in the process of walking. You can't sure. um, walk and isolate it only to your knee. Your ankle has to do things. Your hip has to do things. Your trunk has to be able to rotate. Your shoulders move. Like all sure. of that influences your ability to walk. And it may be that you have um, restricted movement in a wide variety of areas that is negatively Im impacting your walking strategy. And we need to do things to your entire body to increase the available strategies that you have walking. Because a lot of times when people have pain, they end up bloating a specific area too much. And that is a contributing factor to the pain experience. And so what we aim to do on the movement side of things is we want to increase the strategies that are available. So that's not the only area that's loaded. And so if someone has restrictions, many areas, we try to expand the amount of movement that's available. So that's not the only area that's loaded. Okay. And so that's kind of the, the baseline thing that I start with someone. And then once we've increased the amount of motion available, and sometimes this can occur simultaneously, we then want to be able to ensure that someone can maintain the amount of movement that they have when they then stress their body. And we can use various stressors. Weight room exercises are a stressor. Moving fast is a stressor. Stressor. Doing conditioning is a stressor. So a lot of it then is about applying these various stressors to um, ensure that they can sustain the, the movement improvements that we've we've gotten. And so then it's just a matter of developing the the physiological qualities needed to be able to um, sustain the ability to move in multiple directions for whatever it is the tasks that are important to someone. So. If um, we have someone who wants to be an endurance athlete, we want to make sure that we can utilize conditioning tactics to um, ensure that they preserve that movement. Or if someone wants to golf, well, we want to make sure that we choose rotational exercises at higher intensities that um, allow you to, to work on the same qualities. And, and that's really what it's about. And then it's, you know, because a lot of people come to me from because they have movement problems. We emphasize a lot of that in the beginning, but then eventually what I want to be able to do is I want to ex extend that beyond movement. And it could be that, Hey, you know, it, it seems like you might have some body composition issues and that could be a rate limiting step to you pursuing your goals the way you want to. I'm either going to help you with nutrition coaching, or I'm going to put you in touch with someone who I think is better at it than me, because I think based on where you're at, you might need this person's help or, you know what, maybe it's, um, you have some maladaptive beliefs or you're dealing with some type of psychological stressors that I think it could be a limiting step to you getting to the next level. I'm going to put you in touch with a psychologist who I really like, or, Hey, uh, you snore when you sleep and your sleep quality is terrible. You're waking up three times a night and you never feel refreshed when you wake up. I'm going to see if you have some type of sleep issue that needs help. And so I'm going to refer you to get a sleep study and see if there's something going on there. And so, um, and, and I, and I say that and it can be overwhelming, but what we, what we really want to do is we want to be stewards to an individual and make sure that they're doing all that they can to maximize their health, well-being, and performance. And there can be a lot of factors that go into that. And, um, basically what I try to do is I try to find the the minimal effective dose that they need to reach their goals. But then once we hit the next blockade of where they want to go, we try to do things to basically go through that. And so I, I try to act as a conduit to push them to wherever they need to, to ultimately be successful and get the most that they want yeah. out of um, their life. No, I, I love that. You know, it's, 
it's an order of operations is the word I just, or the phrase I just wrote down. I talk a lot about self-awareness with people when it comes to habit change. But now I'm talking, you know, strictly lifestyle habit change. You know, if I'm, if I'm consulting with someone about nutrition, sleep, recovery, exercise, and low hanging fruits, the, the term we always use, right. It's, it's get some wins, get a couple, but it's also knowing where to start. Yes. This might be the big problem and you may not see it, but this might be the way to get there first. And that's a, it's a challenge sometimes for us because when people come in so fixated on one thing and we try to say, yeah, but can you do this first? But they were really looking forward to working on X. It can be a hard, a hard sell for maybe a lack of a better way to put it, you know, and your example of weight loss first, if someone comes in with, with knee discomfort or back tightness, and you're like, you know, this really might just be a, you drop 10, 15 pounds and you actually start feeling better immediately but that might not be the answer people want to hear, right? So that's a big part of the challenge on a, on a day one or a first meeting with someone, right, is, is helping to create some self-awareness, give them some ownership of the issue, some autonomy maybe in making decisions, but also then leading them to what the first step might be, even if it's not what they thought it was going to be. Yeah, and and I think um, what I what I try to do with a lot of my clients, I mean, sometimes it's like, hey, I think we just need to do this and we're good, but you want to give someone options right? because in, at, at the end of the day, no one knows what that person needs to do to reach their goal. And the reason why is because if you take two people with knee pain, as an example, um, even on the, from a movement perspective, they might need two completely different things to uh, make themselves pain-free. Sure. And it could be that there are other factors that go beyond just movement that that could help with that. And so what what we what we want to try to do for individuals is recognize that, hey, there's a lot of factors that could go into why this is happening for you. Um, and then there's there's several potential options that we could we could go with. Um, I think this would be the best place to start. What do you think about that? And if they're they're like, hey, I want to focus on this instead and I'm not ready to go with the uh, the, the weight loss journey which that's okay. Sometimes people aren't ready for that. Right. Um, you just have to recognize and, and set realistic expectations about what can and cannot be achieved. And it might be like, well, okay, I'm cool with that. Let's try this. And if we're hitting a sticking point and I'm not seeing things the way they are, we might actually want to circle back and see if we can focus on this, but, but really, you know, and it, it's a bit of a nebulous term, but we want to encourage people to have healthier lifestyles than what they have not now if they're having health problems and it's unfortunately not a uh it's not it's not as simple as take a pill and this is going to fix things sometimes it's you have to change the way things are going with you right now in order for you to get to where you want to be yeah if you keep doing what you've always done you're going to keep getting keep getting what you always got right it's that phrase and yeah discomfort moving you know pain whatever you want to call it right now i think sometimes that's hard too is getting people to realize that along with correction. You know, if they've gotten to the point where they're coming to you, if they have tissue damage, if they have, you know, misalignment, whatever it might be, if they go right back to the same physical lifestyle that got them there, the same golf swing, the same overactivity, the same overrunning, the same oversitting, whatever it is, it's going to come back. Right. And I guess where I want to lead to that question is, you know, I, I had, I had a conversation with a client this morning about capability versus strategy and how he's capable of moving correctly. It's not that he's not capable of it. His body just says form different habits. And it's no different than nutrition habits and sleep habits. The body moves based on signaling, right? We tell it to move one way. And if we've told to move one way for years, and now all of a sudden we're just expecting it to just jump right into a new movement pattern because we strengthen something, it's not always that cut and dry. So creating awareness of his movement, telling him, showing him what he was doing incorrectly, and then just reinforcing it with some reps, all of a sudden he got it. I'm like, well, good. But now you're going to have to like, now we have to put this into practice a lot of hours. Otherwise, those habits are ingrained. They're going to come back. So I don't know if you can talk a little bit on maybe like the, the neurological side of, of movement and how strengthening, of course, is a big part of this, but it's also creating repetitions within the right movements to solidify them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And not only that, but um, if 
if you're doing a lot of repetitions in the gym, but then you're not changing things about whatever the terminal task is. So, you know, um, if, if it's like a golf swing, for example, you know, I can, we can do a lot of mobility stuff. We can do a lot of stuff in the gym, but, um, you might need to tweak things about the swing. That's, um, that, and that could be potentially the rate limiting step. And it might just be like, you might not have access to be able to do what you were trying to do in the beginning, but now that we've increased your range of motion and we've developed some body changes by training in the gym, now is the time to make that change. Um, it has to be repetition because your, your body doesn't forget old habits. It's sure. there. What you have to do is you have to layer on new habits to attempt to override them. And, and that can take time because if you've been doing something a certain way for 10 years, it's not going to be as easy as, you know, I, all of a sudden now I've practiced this new thing and I've, I've gotten it. Um, it takes time just like anything. It's the same thing as like quitting smoking. If that's something you wanted to do. Um, if you've smoked for 20 years, while some people can quit just like that, oftentimes it, you're going to be more successful in the long term by changing the habits that are surrounding um, smoking. And it, it's usually um, changing those cues and all that over time. And so the same thing is true from the movement perspective. And then you just got to exercise that muscle over and over again. Or, it, you know, uh, another example that's not related to movement, but like um, setting boundaries with people. <laughs> you know, if you're someone who's, a chronic people pleaser. And now all of a sudden you are practicing setting boundaries with someone, or you've read this book that teaches you how to do it. Well, that doesn't mean that it's going to go perfect hundred percent of the time. And so it's, it's something you have to practice. And yeah, so it, it's, it's the same thing when it comes to movement. Um, if, if you want to change a, a movement behavior, you have to practice it over and over and over again and be careful or not be careful, but be okay with, um, failing at it because you're not always going to hit it the way you want to hundred percent of the time. But if you continue to incorporate things the way you want and um, recognize that it's a process that has highs and lows, um, you, it, it'll eventually transfer more consistently than the, uh, the negative habits that you may have had previously. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, habits for the most part don't get changed or rates they get replaced. Yes. And, and, and for two, one, because your body doesn't just forget because you told it to forget something. You know, if, if I choose to just stop eating at a certain time every day, because I think I want to, usually I have to distract myself with a new habit to really make that happen. Otherwise it's a struggle, but also because if I'm doing one habit, that means I'm, I'm not doing the other replacement is also subtraction. And, and then the movement world's the same thing, right? If I, if I'm practicing doing things the right way, it just means I'm also not spending that time doing it the negative way. So it's, it's, it's a game of ratios, right? You're just, you're trying to add more time in that replaces the habit than spending time reinforcing the habit because habits also don't, I like to think the habits don't ever stay the same. They're either being reinforced or changed. There's no other, there really is no other direction. Cause if you're repeating the habit, you're reinforcing it. If you're doing something else, you're changing it. There really isn't any other scenario that doesn't happen with one of those two things. Yeah, I would agree with that wholeheartedly um, because you're, we're not that, unfortunately, or as much as we think about it, we're not that different than the, the Pavlov's dogs thing. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, there's a cue, then a routine is um, in place and a reward. And so um, if the cues are still present, even if you try to stop it, like you really do have to either replace it with something different than, than what you are doing. And that could be a different reward or that could be a, a different routine. So I would uh, agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. It, it's a fun system. And the overlap into the movement side is what I think is fascinating because it's, again, it's another thing that people tend to separate out. I have to change my habits, but then there's exercises over here. Well, no, it's, it's a part of your habits. That's a big part of your life that affects all of your other habits and and vice versa. It goes in both directions. So maybe switching gears a little bit, you know, into the next part of the process. You, know, you talked about what you look for. We, we talked about identifying issues and, you know, self-assessing. When you talk about making people feel better, you know, we, we discussed on our first call a little bit about increasing range of motion. Could you talk about the difference between uh, passive, maybe flexibility, stretching, and more active 
range of motion, which might be, you know, full range of motion strength training, you know, and what are the similarities and what are the differences between the two? So, well, so there's an interesting thing with flexibility um, since we, we last spoke. So really like stretching and, and things of that nature, it doesn't necessarily change anything about how long or short muscles and all that can get. Um, most flexibility training, if you look at the research, really just improves your ability to tolerate the sensation of stretch. Okay. And it may change some properties of the connective tissues. So if you're pursuing more flexibility-based sports, it could be really useful to practice those types of things. But I, I think a lot of people associate, oh, I, I'm tight in a specific area. I need to stretch that in order to relieve some of that tightness. It's not necessarily the case because it's different than having, um, having mobility at rest. So um, when you, when you're experiencing tension, what that is, is that's the likely the muscles creating a certain amount of contraction. And that can happen whether I have a muscle that's on stretch or a muscle that's not on stretch and that's more uh, shortened for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, I've, I've had a lot of uh, patients and clients who might complain of their hamstrings feeling tight, but I've also had on both sides of that equation, when I do something like a toe touch or a straight leg raise, I've had, let's use the toe touch because that's easier to see. I've had someone complain of hamstring tightness who couldn't touch their toes. And I've had someone complain of hamstring tightness who can palm the floor. Now, does the person who can palm the floor need to stretch more? Probably not. Like it's clear that they have adequate excursion of those muscles. So what, what you need to be able to do in that particular case is you have to be able to either, you, you have to be able to create the dichotomy within your body of being able to create an effective muscle contraction. And so that could be being able to express moving through a full range of motion under a stressful condition. And what I mean by stressful condition is that could be doing some type of loaded exercise without problems. And I have to be able to create a movement behavior without experiencing that tension. And so that could be moving without creating a lot of tension. And so an example of that I could give is um, let's say you're sprinting. And um, do this, do this, go to a, a high school track meet and look at the person who wins the race versus the person in dead last for a hundred meters. The person who likely wins the hundred meter dash, they oftentimes look very relaxed, flowy, like they're not even trying versus the person who's in dead last, what are they doing? Well, they're going as hard as they possibly can, but they're grimacing, they're really tight, and they're trying to do all that they can to create adequate force production to be able to win the, win the race, right? But it's clear that, that they don't have the case, or that that's not the case. And so what we really wanna be able to create with individuals is we want um, a person to be able to create and generate tension when they need to be able to do that, and be able to create relaxation when they need to be able to do that. And that's really what separates the high performers from the low performers. The highest performers can create tension when they need to, and they're able to relax when they need to. The people who can't perform well, it's either they create a bunch of tension all the time and they can never relax, or you get someone who's just very relaxed and flowy and they can't generate tension. And so what we want to try to be able to do from a, a, a fitness aspect is we want to be able to create both of those things when the person needs it. And that's a bit different than um, flexibility, which is just being able to um, get into um, the extreme end ranges of, of a given position. Um, and, and so being able to, because I know some people who are very flexible that might not be able to create a situation where they're very relaxed. Um, sure. In fact, if you look at a lot of the people who are very flexible, oftentimes they deal with anxiety, they deal with feeling a lot of tension and, and things of that nature. And so there's really like um, three different things there that we're working on. It's being able to contract, being able to relax, and then being able to get into 
um, full excursions or full ranges of motion that we, we need to be able to do for a given task. Okay. So would it be fair to, to do a, a, a gross summary here that when it comes to maybe discomfort and tightness, you know, maybe that spectrum between the two, being able to control tension at different lengths is, is a key that we need to learn. Yes. Or being able to generate it when you need to and being okay. able to shut it off when you need to might, might even be better. Right. So like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So here's, here's a good example. Um, golf swing. The amount of time I need to generate tension in the golf swing is really at the impact and that's it. So the best golfers, they're going to be very relaxed into the backswing and then they're going to apply force very quickly once they hit the ball and then they should be able to relax as they pass through. The people who aren't good golfers, they muscle it. And then their, their golf swings terrible. Right. Yeah. Um, so um, that would be an example of being able to, to control when you're producing tension versus not. It's almost like a volume knob in a way. Like yeah. I want to turn it on when I need it to be turned on. And I want to be able to, to ramp it down when I need to be able to ramp it down. And then that's true in everything. Um, it's true in jumping, you know, um, it, when I, if I want to jump really high, I need to be very relaxed on the way down. I need to produce force really quickly and generate tension. Um, and then I need to be able to relax to come on up. And that, that's just the way we move in, in many aspects. The, the same is true with something as simple as walking. There's some people who are very tight and stiff when they walk. And maybe that's uncomfortable when they do that for an extended period of time, whereas walking should be a really flowy, effortless activity. And so yeah. um, there's some individuals who are tight at all times, or they feel a lot of tension. And a lot of times we have to work on the, the opposite of that, which is relaxation. And then there's some people who are very floppy and they can't create tension, you know, and you probably see this. They're the person who you get them to do a goblet squat and they fold over and they fall all the way down and it's like yeah. not good. And right. so that, that person needs to be able to create tension and they need to be able to do it for longer periods of time and control the movement. So then they have that, that ability to, to turn it off or on basically. Yeah. And that's, it's a little counterintuitive sometimes when you tell people that like you are, you're not tense enough in a way like you, you're most, it's the, it's the Thomas Myers anatomy trains locked long, locked short type mentality, right? That sometimes you need to be able to, to control and bring back that tension a little bit because it's an element of control. And with, yeah. with my athletes, they hear, they hear me repeat probably more times than they like to, you know, powerful, but light. And usually they're hearing that cue the most during our warmups, which consists of skipping and bounding drills, where I need to be able to create power. I want to be able to bound off one leg into another, but control the landing, come in. And it's the, we use the analogy of catching an egg a lot. You know, can I, can I control my motion back into the ground? But also because one, because maybe they don't get hurt but also because that puts me in a position for the next bound, the next step, the next change of direction, the next state up, you know, straight up vertical movement. That's why I love those drills so much. Cause I think without those drills, there's a lot of reasons we do skipping and bounding, but you know, coordination is a lot of ways, but th those drills really carry over to the lifts more than my athletes, especially my young athletes can really understand like the, the college and pro guys. They like understanding this stuff, but the high school athletes, they don't realize how much then that becomes their deadlift. That becomes the change of direction on their squat. But just because they're athletes doesn't mean it's different than them and adults, right? Adults have to be able to work the same way. And I know, you know, again, our first call, we talked a lot about tension in general. So for the adults listening who maybe do have some of this, and this is all starting to, to make sense, limiting tension, would limiting tension be a strategy you use for, for some adults going in? Meaning if they're learning a new exercise, do you probably not want to create too much load during those exercises if it creates full body tightness and overbearing? Is that maybe a, a good way to put it? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, I find myself, and actually some of the, the drills that you're talking about um, with bounding and all that are a very good example. Um, if you have someone who lands very stiffly, that's the person who's generating too much tension to try to control the landing. And so we want to try to find positions or activities where they're not doing that. So for example, what you, what you might do instead is, is like, let's say someone's just doing a, uh, just a vertical jump and they land with their knees locked. 
well, maybe I'll have them actually jump up to a small box. So that way we minimize the amount of time that it would take for them to, to land. And then maybe they can land a little bit more softly on, on that front. And so uh, a lot of it, especially when it's more higher level activities, um, you have to teach them to be able to create the ability to relax. Um, and, and that's where like some of the more rehabby drills come uh, become useful is because it's a very focus activity on that specific thing. Um, and so like a lot of my warmups for people in the beginning or cool downs, or even like, I might even do this on a separate day might be very like, um, rolling around on the ground, very slow, easy, controlled. I want you to feel nothing because it's, it's like, now you can at least create the context of this is what it feels like to not move with creating a lot of tension or effort. And same thing with your warmups. Right. You want like if if I'm working really hard on the warm up, then I'm not likely allowing the, my body to get into all the positions needed for the workouts. And the, the same thing is true during a lot of our loaded exercise. If if someone can't squat all the way down and they're creating too much tension. And so then I might want to choose variations where it's easier for them to do that. Maybe there's more supports and you know, maybe it's a wall, like a wall supported type of squat or something along those lines. Um, so yeah, it, it is important to be able to teach people to do that because if I don't have the, the contrast from tension, then even the amount of force or the amount of tension I'll be able to create is going to be limited. It's, it's just kind of like, um, you know, an example that's uh, away from that. If, if you never experience sadness, then you never know what happiness is. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and, and so um, it, it's the same thing with movement. If I'm tense all the time and I never know what relaxation feels like, then, then really is, am I really experiencing tension or is that my, my baseline? Like we have to create yeah. that dichotomy. Sure. Because people's normals are their normals, right? If they've been feeling a certain level of tightness their entire life, maybe it actually doesn't come up as tightness, you know, not to them. So you show them the other side. And then at some point they revert back a little bit. And all of a sudden now they have a comparison point to go back to. Yeah. So I have a, I have an example of that. I, when I was in basketball, I worked with this kid for the first time. I see, I guess he wasn't a kid. He was in his twenties, but I guess that's good. <laughs> um, and, uh, I was seeing him, he had a foot surgery and we did some, a couple of movements just to in, increase his range of motion. And he got up and he's like, wow, my back's way less tight. And I'm like, and he didn't mention that in our initial thing. And I'm like, were you dealing with some back stuff? He's, he's like, well, I didn't think so. <laughs> well, because that was just his baseline normal. And so you, you almost be uh, come accommodated to feeling a certain way. And so once you are, once you experience a new, sensation. It's like, Oh, wow. I guess I didn't feel that. Like another example is, um, you know, I, I work with a lot of my clients. I, I try to do things to improve sleep, or maybe I, I refer them to people to help with their sleep. And, um, you know, once you, uh, do something and it improves their sleep favorably, they're like, wow, I slept amazing. And I didn't know I was sleeping that poorly until you experience the opposite of that. And so it's just funny how people, get used to feeling a certain way and that becomes the new normal and it might not be the the ideal normal or maybe they can even take themselves to another level it's just until you experience the the converse of that you you, you don't know what you're what you're missing and that and that can extend in, in in many domains of our lives absolutely and finding not finding people but you know having the open-mindedness to I'm going to buy into a, a different type of lifestyle because I'm actually not sure how it's going to benefit me. Not because I am looking for one focal point. I talk about this with, with weight loss all the time. We put weight loss as, as the pivotal part on top of the podium. And then here's all the ways that I think I could lose weight versus I'm going to put habit change on the top of the podium. And then here's the hundred things that are going to get better. One of them is probably weight loss. But just that perspective yeah. of the change is it's a very it's two very different ways to look at it. It also changes your perspective of success. If weight loss is the only number that has to move to make a, a something successful, then then we might be in trouble because it's there's a lot of ways that could be influencing that number. 
if we change the habits and you're like, you know what, my weight hasn't dropped quite as much as I want to, but here's the five other things that are way better than they used to be. You find success in that a little bit, and then you keep chipping away, which keeps you in the game long enough to maybe eventually lose, lose that weight. But perspective really matters. And being able to not convince people, maybe that's not the right word, but educate people in a way that gets them to understand that and be open-minded to the unknown is, is a big part of the process. Yeah. And it's almost like the, the outcomes that you think you want are almost byproducts of, as we've kind of talked about throughout this, like just creating positive, healthy habits for yourself that you would hope have widespread effects beyond just the number on the scale. Like, and like why, why is weight loss even something to focus on? Well, like we can even just look at that, like losing weight has a lot of different effects on your health and well-being. So we can look at that alone, improving, uh, you know, some of your blood markers. So it might improve, improve some of your, uh, like, you know, blood glucose, among other things, it's going to, uh, offload stress on your joints. It's going to improve your cardiovascular system because you can, you're, you're not carrying as much weight. So your heart doesn't have to work as heavy. It's, it's going to improve your, um, your outlook on how you look because you're like, Oh, wow, I'm looking good. It's going to improve how others perceive you, you know, like it or not. Uh, but people who, uh, and I think there is some, probably some research on this. Um, but, but people who appear more attractive end up making more money in the long term compared yeah. to those who are not. And, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, um, people who weigh more generally aren't perceived as attractive as those who weigh less. Um, and that's just the, the way it goes. Um, yeah. So like even something like that has widespread effects, but apply that concept now to some of the habits that we're trying to instill in, in, in someone. If you do this, this and this weight loss could be one of many things that improve for you. And, and that's really what it's all about, but it's, it's about creating processes that are going to lead to positive effects on your life and then just let the positive effects happen. And then when we're not getting some of the effects that we want, well, then we just change some of those processes and then eventually we'll get to get to those things happening. Yeah. So if we, if let's shift gears a little bit to, um, context, you know, and maybe we get, you know, there's specific things that I hear a lot from, from our members um, and people in general, what a workout maybe should look like. And again, pain, discomfort or not what the, what the two to three days before a workout, why those matter for maybe how we plan an exercise program. For example, did I spend 17 hours work at a desk working on a deadline yesterday? Am I coming off of back-to-back -back travel days where I was in a plane and cars for hours on end, didn't sleep well in a hotel. And now I'm going to try to come in and get a really good workout. So when you're working with people on your performance side of, of your profession, how do you help to establish how that context matters? And maybe what are some things people should think about in terms of maybe intensity levels on workouts coming out of, out of different periods um, of life? Well, let me use an analogy that I think will resonate with, with some people. So I live in Las Vegas, Nevada, and uh, it's kind of a party city as you may or may not know. Um, and <laughs> never, so never let's just that. suppose, yeah, right. <laughs> let's, let's suppose that you, um, haven't drank for six months and then all of a sudden you decide to come to Vegas with your peeps. And the first night you have five drinks, chances are you're probably going to feel terrible the next day. Yes. And the reason why you're going to feel terrible is because your body does not have the tolerance to be able to deal with five alcoholic beverages. Now, the person who perhaps drinks on a regular basis, maybe they have one to two drinks a night or whatever, and they go on that same trip, they might actually be okay after five, even though it's a little bit beyond what they normally drink. And the reason why is because your body adapts to whatever stressors or stimuli you are imparting on that. Now, I'm not saying, okay, moral of the story, start <laughs> <Yeah>. drinking incessantly. <laughs> right. but, but the same process applies to everything that we do. And so if we use physical activity as a marker, if you have spent the last three days sitting most of those that time or you're traveling and you've been on a plane for an extended period of time, and then you go and you do a very hard workout, 
you're going to have a workout hangover. And that could be everything sore and you got to take three or four days off because you haven't moved for an extended period of time. Maybe, and, and I and I don't want to uh, demonize working out, but maybe an area gets a little bit more sore. You you know potentially have an injury or something like that. Uh, and so these are things we want to be mindful of. And so a more prudent thing might be to temper what your workout was planned for um, based on that, and then slowly ramp up from there. Um, so if we kind of went to the Vegas analogy again, if you haven't drank for six months, maybe you have one to two drinks on day one. And then, and then right. the next day you do a little more and then the next day you do a little more and then you go back to normal. So that same thing could apply to exercise. So you have your trip, maybe Monday you get back, you do a little bit of physical activity and see how your body responds. And then maybe you're going to train on Tuesday and then, okay, maybe now I can tolerate a little bit more. And then maybe by Wednesday or Thursday, now I can go back to my normal workout. And so we, we just want to slowly introduce or we want to meet ourselves where we're at right. uh, with our, with our activity capabilities. The, the person who trains regularly might be able to tolerate a very large increase in physical activity because they have that baseline built. Their tissues are better able to tolerate that versus if you go from nothing to a lot, that's a bigger gap that you have to fill and your body's going to utilize strategies to deal with that. And that could be, you're going to be a lot more sore because your body needs that much more time to recover. And so sure. we just want to, we just want to temper that. And that even extends beyond uh, a training in the weight room. If uh, I get this all the time, I have a lot of clients who go and play tennis and they might say, Zach, I'm hurting everywhere. I played tennis for three hours on Sunday and I don't know why I'm hurting after that. And I'll oftentimes ask, well, how, when's the last time you played three hours of tennis? And they'll, they'll say 2005. <laughs> well, your body's not ready for that. Like, it's just, right. you, you're not adapted to that. So it would, again, if you want to do something like that, you probably should practice tennis leading up to that. And then you might be able to do okay with three hours of tennis. And so it's just something we want to be able to do with all things. Yeah. Just be, just be more aware. It, and it's kind of circles back to what we were saying earlier about, movement strategies and, and those that can move well, there's there are those who are still in the process of practicing movement. If you're someone that already moves well and moves often, missing a few days or having a few days of inactivity forced or, or, or not, and jumping back in is probably not as big of a deal. Versus if you're someone that doesn't move well in general, is in the middle of practicing, and now you had a three-day Vegas trip where you're like, man, I just want to wrongfully burn off everything I just ate and consumed for three days, so I'm going to go work out as hard as possible. Well, not only does it not work that way, not only is that ineffective anyway, but that might be what, what flares up an old discomfort or what really, like you said, puts you in the gutter where you just don't feel well. And now you don't move well for another three to four days because not only musculoskeletal, but just systemically you feel like crap after something like that. So yeah, yeah. It, it's, it, I love the idea of just, again, being aware, sitting back, understanding context, and not trying to force things. Uh, you know, I had a member this morning who, who emailed and she was doing really well. We were, we were on a habit-based system. She has significant weight to lose and has, you know, I, th I think she's around 15 pounds lost now. She's doing fantastic. She Good went on a trip. Her. Yeah. Awesome. Right. So she went on a trip and I said, listen, my goals for you, she's, you know, on this trip, I'm so worried. I go, listen, my goal for you this trip is one thing. I go to not do anything different. I mean, I mean, not, no, I'm sorry, not in terms of what you would normally do on a vacation. Just go have fun. There's nothing that you can do in these five days that are going to offset the rest of our progress. Just get back to the plan when you get home, but enjoy the trip, you know, and that's, and that really was my goal for her. So she came back and she had a pretty good first week, but she's like, you know what? I just don't feel good enough. I feel like I need to jumpstart this. And I was like, no jump starts. Just get back to the plan. There, there is no jumpstart. Just get back to the basic things that were made that were working for you in the first place, you just, just get back to them. And I think that's hard for people though, when they do things that take you out of your habits, they feel the need to like somehow make up for that. And it's like I said, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. You can't, you can't rush. Um, 
there's nothing that we can, there's certain rates at which things can happen within our bodies. And there's, you know, aside from using exogenous drugs, which I'm not condoning, there's (laughs) nothing that you can do that, that makes things like that happen faster. It's kind of like, um, you know, if let's, let's say you didn't water a a plant in your house for a week and it looks (laughs) wilted. Well, you can't just pour a gallon of water on it for the next, you know, over the next three yeah. days and expect it to grow. No, you just have to go back to the original process that you were doing, which is water it for a little bit, make sure it gets sunlight, water it for a little bit, make sure it gets sunlight. And we're not that different from plants. Um, we, we have to get back into the habits that were pushing us in the direction that we were going. And if you do that for a long enough time, you're going to get back to where you were. And, and I think also too, and, um, you know, I, I say this too, cause I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm like that, that woman, um, you know, um, be okay with doing things like that and give yourself some compassion that, Hey, if you do fall off the wagon for a bit, it, it's okay. Like you're human. That's normal. Enjoy yes. those human experiences. Um, be, like, you know, I had a buddy who came into town, um, and, and we, we did the Vegas thing. And uh, ate out way too much, and uh, I'm not a really a big drinker. And and uh, there I was uh, uh, drinking. Yes. Uh, fortunately, I I tempered my amount, so I didn't have hangovers. <laughs> um, but like you know, I'm I'm trying to get shredded right now, and I ended up gaining like seven pounds or something. It was something stupid, right? And but I also was like frustrated, like like that person. But then you recognize, like, hey, it's okay. Just get back on the habits that got you to where you wanted to be, and over the course of a few days, I was pretty much close to where I was. Yes. Um, so just, you know, no one makes a lot of significant changes by yelling at themselves. Like if I think a lot of the negative self-talk that we have, if you reflect that and you're like, would you ever say that to another person? Um, and chances are like, no, it's like, well, you, no one spends more time with you than you. And you look at the way that you treat yourself. Like it's, yeah, we have to practice a lot more self-compassion, I think, and recognize that we're human. We're going to, we're going to deal with highs and lows. We're going to make mistakes. Um, the best thing you can do is accept that things happen the way they did learn from it. Enjoy the time that you had, because that's okay to have those experiences and then just get back on, on the processes that were putting you where you got to go, where yeah. you were going to go. Yeah. And not only can you ex- um, enjoy those experiences, you should, because there is a mental side Absolutely. of just enjoyment that feeds back into being able to sustain the good habits too. You know, I, I did a video for our virtual group the other day on, you know, the, the whole 80, 20 rule thing. And the 80, 20 rule isn't like at least 80%, but upwards of hundred percent be perfect. That's not what it is. I, I want you to do the 20%. I think the 20% feeds the 80, not the opposite. I want the indulgences. I want you to take rest days where you completely binge watch Netflix. I want you to, to eat whatever you want, you know, in the appropriate ratios, because there it's more than just enjoying that moment. It, it, it feeds back into refueling the hard work side of things. So I, I think people need to remember that. And by the way, I love your, I don't, I don't often hear new analogies that I, cause I'm such a big analogy nerd. Um, the water and plant one is going to be reused um, many times. That's a good one. That's a good one. Just don't rewater that analogy too much. Otherwise, yeah. it's not going to grow, Mike. <laughs> you know, I love it so much. And if you don't mind me, you know, I'm going to get calories. I'm going to go back the other direction on it too. Because the opposite is true too. If you overwatered it, you wouldn't not water that plant for five days to make up for the overwatering either. You know, so in both directions, making up for it doesn't work. But um, I'll make sure I give you credit yeah. when, I, when I use your analogy. Don't worry. I'll, I'll, well, I'll you know what? We'll blend it because I like the uh, overwatering analogy as well. Uh, so, so, so we can I'll, share it is what you're saying okay it's a share it's a shared analogy yeah <laughs> all right i'll make sure that credit goes somewhere so zach i have one more i'm looking at time i have one thing i want to get into before we for call it a day here it's a fun game i like to play with all my my fitness pros can you maybe one or two of each category can you tell me one or two exercises you think that maybe we generally speaking do too much of and maybe one or two that you would like to see more of and wherever your brain goes with this is fair game. Well, I don't think that there's any inherently bad exercise. Agreed. I think that there's, I, I think here's what I think people do. I think people jump 
to advance exercises when they could really milk simple ones. And I think they don't milk those simple ones long enough with, with good technique. So okay. it's not really like a one to two exercise thing. It's more of a principle-based thing. Okay. So here's another analogy for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing it down. Yeah. If a, uh, if a pistol could have done the job, then there's no sense in using a bazooka. Like right. That. Not that I'm condoning violence. <laughs> so <laughs> the example that comes to mind is, is a goblet squat versus a back squat. Like I think very rarely do I program a back squat. And the reason why is because it's actually a fairly a technically intensive move that relies on you have to be able to get into a lot of different body positions and and most people who i work with and i work with again a lot of general population i work with a lot of beat up fitness professionals they might not have the range of motion to get into that one and then two if you coach a goblet squat very well and you make sure you nail the technique i i've crushed a lot of people with that sure. and um you can you can milk those beginner gains for a very long period of time and so like spend more time mastering the fundamentals and getting the most out of those, because especially if you're new to the gym, really the stimulus doesn't matter. So why don't we choose stimuli or activities that ensure that you're loading where you need to load? Meaning if it's a squat, you probably should feel quads, you probably should feel glutes if you can get all the way down. Um, and, and use that for as long as possible before you go to the advanced stuff. And I would even say, you know, so maybe my do more goblets, do less back, at least <laughs> yeah. in the beginning. Yeah. And I could even extend that to um, utilizing like uh, maybe dumbbell pressing versus bench pressing. Right. Again, bench press, it's a very technically demanding move. And you could get a lot out of dumbbell pressing for the beginning where you're working on ensuring that you have full ranges of motion before you need to go to, to something like a bench press for the general population. Different story yeah. if we're talking about powerlifters, but sure. um, choose simpler exercises before going to the complex ones if you're trying to get a specific adaptation because you can you can get a lot out of those. And then once, once you go to the advanced stuff, um, well, one, it takes longer for your body to recover from those things. Um, and the amount of time that you can, or well, and then to, to eventually get benefits from them, you ha have to add more weight, more, more of a physiological stimuli. And there's, um, there's adaptations that your body has to utilize to um, get the most out of those things. And sometimes depending on what your goal is, it may not be the most favorable thing. Yeah. So that, that would be what I would say. With I, I, I love that answer. And, you know, advanced doesn't necessarily equal better. Right. Yes. You know, I think might be a good, yeah, we got a, a, a kind of a gross summary of what you just said, just because something is more advanced back to your bazooka bazooka is more just technologically advanced piece of equipment, but doesn't necessarily mean it's the right piece for you. That gets the effect that you wanted it to get. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Zach, that was awesome. I really liked where that answer went. So thank you. I always get good ones with that. Uh, Michelle Bowen gave me some great ones off of that too. We've, we've had some gems off of that question. So <laughs> um, oh, nice. Michelle's great. Yeah. Yeah, she is. Yeah. I know you guys know each other. So. By the way, she prefers to be called coach Bo. So next time you see her call her coach Bo, not I, Michelle. I, I will make sure I change that very quickly and I'll get out credited back to you just in case I get in trouble. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. She'll definitely, well, she'll know it was me because I've been okay. trying to get that name to stick for a very long time. So I just got to uh, make sure I say that anytime it's brought up. Well, you won me over today. I'll let her know. Uh, Zach, this is awesome, man. I, I really appreciate your time. I'm glad we got this in. Where can people find you? Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me, Mike. Uh, the best place to find me is zackcouples.com. That's Z-A-C-C-U-P-P-L-E-S.com. Um, there, that's where I have my blog. That's where I have a list of all my services, my seminars, um, and uh, links to all my social media and all that's there. So I'm also on YouTube. If you search Zach Couples, if you search Zach Couples on Instagram, um, I have Facebook and Twitter. I'm less active on those platforms. And actually, caved i just got on tiktok um so if you search that couples on tiktok i'm also there as well but i'd say my the, the best place to find me is to go to my blog at zackcouples.com if it makes you feel any better i caved about three months ago and i nice. i don't regret it i don't but it is funny though because you'll have people that like oh i found your tiktok and it's like that's not no i wasn't for you that was for the strangers that i want to entertain in my stupid ways that wasn't for you so it's funny that how we 
the the quote unquote older generation on TikTok, which is apparently us. Uh, it's it's yeah. funny how we still react to like I'm doing this, but I'm embarrassed about it. Um, yes, yes. For everyone listening, you know there there's a lot of fitness pros that work with fitness pros that I think you know like the conversation doesn't match. You you're not one of them. I think the general population would really benefit from following you. Um, I do. I get ideas from you all the time. So I think if you're a context listeners, whether you're a fitness pro or not, please go, go follow Zach. Uh, you, you definitely will not regret it. So uh, with that being said, Zach, thank you very much. And uh, you know, maybe we'll do a, a follow-up on this at some point. Looking forward to it, Mike. Thanks. All right, listeners. Thank you very much for being on. Don't forget to rate and review the episode and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.lifestyleasmedicinepodcast.com and visit www.marhealthandperformance.com and at marhealthandperformance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day and see you next time.